Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast in today's episode of Letterboxd Recap. Number eight. This is the weekly episode where James and I go over our movie-watching lives. James, how many movies did you watch this week? I've been pretty busy, you know, not with He's watching already movies. making excuses. I just wanted to preface, you know, why I only have four this week. It's been a busy week. A lot's been going on. And we had to, you know, see a couple movies in terms of screenings as well as, you know, everything going on with SAG and the WGA. Just trying to spend a lot of time doing a lot of research True, and, yeah. and trying to get all the knowledge that we could find about the situation to figure out our stance and everything. So we've been, I think, a little preoccupied with that as well as, you know, just life. And we just really want to clarify our position on SAG and WGA in terms of why we're going to still talk about movies. And so we've done a ton of research and we've talked to union members and the WGA captain that we're in contact with. And and basically what we've discovered from all of our research is SAG and the WGA still wants people to go see movies. They still want you to talk about movies. But what they ask for is to stand in solidarity with the SAG and WGA in terms of spreading awareness and Obviously, showing your support in your reviews and your critiques. If you're a content creator, it's okay to talk about new movies still, and it's okay to talk about new TV shows, but to show your support in your reviews, in your content, when you're making it, and when you release it for your audience and everything, and there's nothing wrong with doing that because they they still want us to see it. They have not called for a boycott of watching film and TV, but of course, everyone can do whatever they want. If you want to stand with SAG and WGA in terms of not watching or not talking about new movies, that's that's your opinion. You can do whatever you want. Personally, for us, talking about film is life, and seeing movies is important to us, and we have to keep movie theaters open. We almost lost theaters in 2020, 2021, and not seeing movies in theaters right now, not only does it hurt SAG and WGA, but it benefits the studio system in terms of, let's say movie theaters die. Studios will just then it's only streaming. turn it into a streaming empire only and streaming. will never get, get real cinema ever again, real films. So not seeing movies from that were created by members of SAG and WGA, how they only exist because of them, not because of the CEOs of studios. They exist because of the artists that make them. You're celebrating their work, you're supporting them, and you're supporting exhibitors and movie theaters who have to stay alive as well. And on top of that... What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined... You can truly experience those, too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. So, you know, Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling want you to see Barbie. Nolan and Murphy and Damon and Blunt, they want you to see Oppenheimer. Keep in mind, they were on red carpets three days ago during the writer's strikes. So they're just not promoting right now because they legally can't promote or discuss anything. However, they still want you to see their films because, like James just said, if theaters die, then streaming, which is the main issue of the strikes, the problem with streaming and residuals, will be all that film distribution is. And we can't let that happen. It is not... And also, film analysis is technically journalism, especially a nonfiction podcast like ours. 
It has nothing to do <clears throat> with any union. It has nothing to do with promotion. Analysis, critical analysis, and film discussion is not promotion. So we are totally safe, and we are totally fine to discuss new films. We're just not going to any more early screenings. We're not posting on social media about anything promotional-related, like, hey, we're at uh, the early premiere of Barbie or whatever. We're not doing anything like that. We're also rejecting any paid work, and that is the best way people like us can stand in solidarity with the unions, but we are absolutely 100% okay doing what we usually do. And I know a lot of creators or reviewers or critics, they're maybe afraid of being attacked online for talking about new releases and new films and being called this term scab or scabbing, which is getting thrown around a lot. And it's been probably the most misinterpreted and wildly overused term to attack people unnecessarily and unjustified because people don't really understand what it means. Now, scabbing and being a scab refers to either you're in a union like you're in SAG or you're in the WGA and you accept work from a studio and you're accepting work, that will be considered a scab or scabbing. Or also, if you're non-union, let's say maybe you're an actor or a writer and you accept work from a studio, that can also be considered scabbing because you're taking the work from another actor who's on strike. You're taking work from another writer who's on strike. You're so, literally crossing the picket line. Exactly. So... Talking about new movies if you're a reviewer is not scabbing. Making content about a new movie if you're a content creator, that's not scabbing. You have to either be in the union and accepting work or non-union taking work. So you're not taking movie review work from somebody in SAG if you're talking about movies because that's not a part of SAG. And on top of that, there's been so much confusion. People are like spreading screenshots about SAG's rules from the SAG website. It applies rules like this, which mean you can't promote movies. It applies to members of SAG. So people keep putting out this stuff like you can't promote uh, movies even if it's unpaid. If you're in SAG, you can't do that. If you're not in SAG, you can do it. It's totally fine. That rule applies to union members only, not members of the fucking general public. So people are so confused. And it's amazing to see how quickly people turned on one another and attacked one another because we're just like rabid animals. I mean, once again, and think about it this way. When has social media ever discussed a conflict or a problem with nuance? Never. It takes a while. And exactly. especially the first two days are insanely aggressive online. Yeah. And we were trying to do our best the last few days, just spreading as much information about what's going on as possible. Especially if you follow us on Twitter. Been putting out a lot of information about SAG and about the strike, about the WJ. And the best way to support is don't boycott, donate, or spread awareness. That's how you can stand in solidarity with the SAG and WGA. The SAG and WGA do not want you to lose your income. If you're a movie reviewer, if you're a content creator, they don't want you to lose your income because you're not in the union. Exactly. The, part, the point of being in a union is you are protected and you worked and you it's fight that together. You can strike. You can yeah. strike. You fight together and you're protected and you're part of a group that will protect you. If you're not in a union, you're not protected by anybody. So they don't. They can't protect you. And they don't want you to lose your income. They don't want you to stop what you're doing. They just want you to show solidarity. They want you to not accept paid work from studios right now. And obviously, they want you not to take the work from a striking actor or talent or writer. That's what we're talking about. That's the issue. So it's fine to talk about. But again, it's your decision if you're a content creator. But that's what we're doing. We're going to keep talking about new movies, 
keep talking about old movies. We're going to keep showing our support. Try we're, to, gonna, we're just trying to maintain theaters survive something like this again. Not just theaters, yeah. but film in general. Yeah. And, I mean, people still want to hear about movies. People still want to hear us talk about movies. And we'll be show, showing our support by we'll be going to the picket lines. We will be sharing resources. We will be sharing ways to donate. Check the descriptions of episodes. We'll have links to how you can support those that are striking right now, the artists that are in trouble. There are a lot of funds you can donate to, but in the descriptions of all these episodes this week on the platforms, check out what I'm putting there. I'm putting a link for you to, to help support them in the entertainment industry. So that's the best way to explain why we're going to keep continuing talking about movies. And talking about movies right now does not mean you're a scab. And talking about movies and making content about movies does not mean you're not supporting the SAG or the WGA. Exactly. So we're going to do our best to try to still take the lead in terms of content creators to show that it's okay to do this because we feel like everybody's too afraid. And so we're just, we want to set the example and we're not afraid to take some heat because we know it's the right thing to do. And we're, we, James and I, we pride ourselves in not being driven by fear. Um, we are very logical, analytical people. So for us, we're okay to take a little heat from some of the crazies online, but for us, it's important to maintain, um, that the film industry is in a desperate situation. We still have to continue supporting films. So come after us. Go ahead. And where was all this heat when the WGA strike? They've been on strike for 76 days and no one cared. Yeah, keep in mind the confusion around scabbing. All these people who say they don't want to be scabs, so they stopped making content yesterday. What about the last two and a half months? Where you do you not do you not support the WGA? Do you only support actors? Only when SAG strike. Why why didn't you show solid this solidarity for the last 78 days? So that's the fucking conundrum. And the, the contradiction right there and proves that nobody really knows what they're talking about. Yeah. So if they really did care, they would have stopped making content two and a half months ago. I think a lot of creators, that are, especially the ones that are attacking, they need to look at themselves in the mirror. Why weren't you not posting content two and a half months ago? Yeah. Why, did, why didn't you stop when the WGA yeah. strike? Why did it take SAG to happen? Is it just because you're obsessed with celebrity? Is it just because it's what's happening online? People are mob, mob mentality. Is yeah. that why? Because if you're st- not posting content because of SAG being on strike, why not two and a half months ago? Why didn't you start then? Why is yeah. it two days ago you started? So we've always been maintaining, supporting the film industry, but also informing. So We, we had did, WGA yeah, captain on. We had a 90-minute episode explaining everything about the WGA and explained how to support and what was going ha- to happen in the future. And so for us, we feel like that is spreading awareness is – from what they've said, the unions, that's what they want. Spread awareness and donate. That's the, that's how they want you to support them. That is official statements by both unions and guilds. That's how you support us. Not by stopping your watching of movies. Not by stopping your going to the theater. And not by shutting. Not by becoming silent online. So um, just think about that. Think about the last two and a half months. So this is, this is how we're doing it. And we feel confident that... Um, Eventually, things will reset and the dust will clear and the internet will calm down on this issue and we'll have some more clarity in the future. Now, before we get into what we have been watching, it is time to do the weekly rating of five of our fans who sent in their letterbox Top 4s. Oh, I can't wait. So, first, we have Reese, a student in... A film student and fanatic. Is this Reese R-H-Y-S? Yes. What's up, Reese? Reese Salt on Letterboxd. 
Huge OG fan. So, top four. The Death of Car- Charlie Countryman, the Shia LaBeouf film. Cool. The Dark Knight. Yeah. I thought hurricane season was over. Pineapple <laughs> Express. Let's go. <laughs> My second favorite civil engineer. <laughs> you're, you're a servant? <laughs> you're the guy who built the Golden you Gate shine Bridge. shine shoes? <laughs> Car radio is so boring. <laughs> well, how many times have we seen that movie? <laughs> so many times. I can quote that whole goddamn movie. 17-year-old Devity boys watching Pineapple, Pineapple Express, Express with our buddies. It just hit, man. Every so time. So hard. Still does. And then Ayn. Le-en. Le-en. Sorry, I'm not French. <laughs> it's not like you can speak French. I never said I can. I just pronounced the name of the movie correctly. That's true. Hey, you're right. You, I got defensive. words in my mouth. I got yeah. defensive. Yeah, it's probably because you're insecure. I got embarrassed. <laughs> but La, re, re, La Anyway. Lan. Lan. Lahine's ketchup. Lahine. It's like it's Jewish. Lahine. <laughs> Jewish or German? <laughs> I can't do that. Chaim. <laughs> Chaim. Yeah, that's it. Chaim. I'm like, it sounded like it. you were screaming I can't do it. German. <laughs> Anyways, Reese, great top four. I love this. I love that you have Pineapple Express in there. It's so, dude, it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It's still, yeah, and it's great. it just connected with us at that age. What did it come out? Like 2008? Seven, 2007? It came out, I think, the same year as Dark Knight. Pre-smartphone era, yeah. and we were just, everyone we knew loved that movie. It was so funny. You know, if you're a little stoner like we were, it was a blast. Even if you weren't a stoner, but like anyone could laugh at it. Man, I freaking love Pineapple Express. We should do an episode on it soon. Absolutely. Well, we did stoner comedies, and it was a lot of fun talking yeah, about it Yeah, but I think like it's the Solo. best one. Oh, yeah. I think it's the best one. It's up there, yeah. Between that and like, what, what would be a competition for it? Well, I mean, technically, Days and Confused is a stoner comedy. I guess, but like... The, There's the so central, much weed smoked in Days and Confused. Not compared to Pineapple Express. Like, I don't know. Have you seen... When was the last time you watched Days and Confused? There are people constantly smoking weed. True, but I mean, like with... With Pineapple Express, the entire plot of the movie revolves, revolves around marijuana. Oh, no, yeah. It's more centered on, on weed. On, on the marijuana. The marijuana. <laughs> There's so much more reefer being, stu- being smoked, bro. Top 10 marijuana movies. <laughs> Are you a narc? <laughs> hey, I would like to purchase some marijuana. All right. Hey, hey millennials. <laughs> Moving on to Mason Kunstler, who's a huge fan of the show. Mason has a great top four. I think you're going to like it, Jim. So... Another Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. Jurassic Park. Then we got, then we got, how you like them apples? <laughs> Good, Good Will Hunting. hunting. <laughs> I got a number. How you like them apples? Then we got, it's a good car. It's a good car. Do, do you like apples? <laughs> My boy's wicked smart. Then we have Ridley Scott's Alien. Let's go. Great top four. I adore all of these movies. I could easily put these top four in my top four. I mean, they're, they're I all could do that no problem. Me, dude. I mean, Google Hunting is still, it's a top yeah. 25 personal favorite of mine, I think. It's it's really important to me, especially, you know, where, where we came from. You know, we grew up exactly like Will Hunting. We were both boy geniuses in selfie. Our best <laughs> friends was Ben Affleck combined. Mopped we the were, floors at we were, MIT. Yeah, we were janitors, and we used to solve <laughs> equations on the walls all the time. So, you know, to finally see a representation of my life in Selfie. These are stories we need to see. From These are stories that the world needs to know about. <laughs> We're from Waltham. <laughs> All right, next up we have Eli Hebert. Oh, it's Elijah. What's up? Sorry, I couldn't tell from your uh, your your uh, profile. So this is Elijah. Great top four right here. Interstellar. Oh yeah. Inglorious Bastards. Children of Men. Oh my God. To, which is great to put in your top four. And then there will be blood. Elijah, this is nothing the, but bangers. Stacked, stacked top four. Um, and plus, Elijah's been watching really good movies lately The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, The Lobster, 
Rogue One and Terminator 2. Hell yeah. I mean, those four movies I could also put in my... I mean, I could see those making top 10, top 20, top 30 for me any day of the week. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, Children of Men is just really an un- underappreciated film of this century so far. So It Elijah. used to be a lot more appreciated, Yeah, but lately it's just kind of feel like it's been forgotten. Not, and not by Elijah, ironic, not by us. Ironically, it's more relevant than ever. Exactly. It couldn't be more. All right, next up, we have Colin King. Colin has an, just another banger top four. Oh, I love it. Back to the Future, which we've seen on a lot of top fours. I think Back to the Future might be the most common one I've seen. It's up there. Interstellar. Yeah, Interstellar's, Interstellar's a lot. Yeah. But I mean, Back to the Future is a perfect movie, so. The Shining. What, what are you saying about Interstellar? I'm just saying I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> 2001 Space Odyssey. On, the Shining. 2001 Space Odyssey, and then Prisoners. All right. I love it. I love this top four. Also, Colin's been watching some bangers. Jurassic Park, Dark Knight, Truman Show, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Man, you're just watching great movies. I love it. When you come in here and you hear me typing, or you don't hear me typing, (laughs) whatever the fuck you hear me doing, (laughs) that means don't come in here. (laughs) Honey, light of my life. You think maybe he should see a doctor. As soon as possible. <laughs> when do you think maybe he should see a doctor? <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> we used to just sometimes say to each other, as soon as possible, as soon as possible. <laughs> that was an old reference. That's a deep track reference in our lives. Oh my God, I love Jack. <laughs> All right, next up, we have Marta McFly. Marta! Who's growing a huge following online as a excellent film journalist. Marta McFly, if you want to find her anywhere. She was on our show a couple yeah. weeks ago. So, Marta's top four is In the Mood for Love, The Holy Mountain, Tampopo, and Persona. And we talked about all these on our international cinema episode with her. Exactly. And these are just like insane, just like some of the best filmmakers ever. And Tampopo is a great Japanese film about ramen. So, if you like ramen or you're just a foodie, Go watch Tampopo. It's one of the most heartwarming and charming movies I've ever seen, and it made me so hungry. And then, obviously, uh, Bergman's film Persona and then Jodorowsky's The Holy Mountain are just insane. And then, to top it off with Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. Love is so good. Nothing but taste. And recently, (laughs) Marta has watched Thief, Michael Mann's debut film. Oh, yeah. Which is one of my all-time favorite debuts for a filmmaker. Then, my boy Brian De Palma's Dressed to Kill. And the Doom Generation, which was just added on Criterion Channel. Dress to Kill is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. And I still think about the opening scene to Thief. Like, it'll just randomly pop in my head. It's that good of an opening scene. It's so terrific. Marta has impeccable taste as a cinephile. Wonderful taste. Thanks for setting us your top four. So thank you for those top four, everyone. Yeah. That was really fantastic. Just like listeners have great taste. Yeah, I love I love it's really what I love about Letterboxd is seeing Really seeing people's um, interests in films and what kind of films they like, and also it's it's always it's just so fun to see what people are watching. Now let's get into our what we've been watching list. And you should go first because you have seven, <laughs> unless our first one's the same. No, it's not the same. Okay, so we just did Twelve Angry Men, and so I was in the mood for another Sidney Lumet movie because I love the guy. So I watched Dog Day Afternoon. Attica! 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 This is just the the pinnacle of. The hot of hostage movies, like the hostage genre, this is just the the top. There's nothing better than it. And so I wrote, uh, with Dog Day Afternoon, Sidney Lumet and Al Pacino shine in one of their famous collaborations. This film is the epitome of the hostage drama and the heist drama. 
With strong performances from its excellent cast and brilliant sound design, you feel every minute of pulpy tension. Al Pacino certainly is one of the very best to ever do it, and this brilliant performance is just another notch in his belt. I love this movie. It's really unbelievable. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend checking it out. I gave it five stars. And this is probably like my sixth time seeing it. It's ahead of its time, too, when it comes to, you know, gender and sexuality and acceptance. And it has so many of those resonant themes that are present in culture constantly today and are being addressed and bringing attention to. But like this was an old movie that was talking about stuff like that that needed to be needed to happen in film. Great point. My first watch of the week was (laughs) with our boy, with our boy. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. We saw this, and it was incredible. Obviously, in IMAX, thank you for the invite, IMAX, to see this film because it was so special, and I was waiting so long. I mean, Fallout, it feels like was like 10 years ago, and it really wasn't. What was it, 2018? 2019? 2017. 2018. No, no, I think 2017. 2018. Fallout? Let me just double check. But it feels like it was so long ago because I've been dying to see Ethan Hunt back in action and see the story continued after they wrapped it up with one of the greatest... 2018. 2018. One of the best action movies of all time and maybe the best of the century, in my opinion, with Mission Impossible Fallout. It's that special of a movie. It's perfect. And I would have been shocked if they were able to top Fallout because it's that good. But this one is just an incredible addition to the MI franchise. It's not better than Fallout, in my opinion, but they did things in terms of raising the stakes, raising the stunts, Uh, having the biggest threat ever in the franchise for Ethan Hunt to go against with his team, with the IMF and the threat against the world. And I had such a blast watching this movie. It was so much fun. We don't want to say too much, though, because our review drops on Thursday. Yeah, so I'll leave it there. So take it easy, man. Our review, well, we got to talk about it. (laughs) I know, I know, but I was like, how long is it going to go on this? We got to get people to... We're recording an episode here. What do you want? Get get to to the... Into the house ASAP? You got somewhere to be? No, I'm saying... I don't have anywhere to be! <laughs> I'm saying we're, we're posting a review on Thursday. We don't want to give too much I can't away. say I had a good time, Anthony. You are ranting right now. I'm just <laughs> trying to say, pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. <laughs> okay, so Anthony's making me... <laughs> Anthony put an embargo on me. <laughs> so I can't talk about it, I guess. But our review is dropping Thursday Thursday for Mission Impossible Fallout and two... I mean, Mission, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1... In two days, we wanted to give everyone an opportunity to see it over the weekend and yeah. over the week so that we can have as many people enjoy the episode as possible. It's but doing definitely well. see it. It's doing see well. It. It's, it's, that, it's so incredible. What was your star rating? Uh, four and a half. I give four and a half as well. I adored it. Fallout's five. And if you're a fan of the franchise, you are going to really enjoy this film. And Tom Cruise just knows how to make the right kind of popcorn summer flick that is so much fun, really spectacular. And kind of challenging in terms of its themes, too. So He loves uh, his popcorn, too. Did you see that little video of him with Regal Cinemas? No. So him and Macquarie, they're just doing like a, a, <laughs> a little press obviously thing. international tour, but also they're hitting up every kind of movie theater chain, really. And we saw it with, with Regal Cinemas as well. And they're just like in a green room, in a back room. He's got a giant bucket of popcorn. It's just like a little viral three-second clip of him going, popcorn. I love my popcorn. <laughs> Movies and popcorn. He's just eating popcorn. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's going viral, and I love it. <laughs> it's just so genuine. Tom Cruise eating popcorn. It's amazing. <laughs> he's All right. just like us, except jokes yeah, on planes every day. Movies. He loves movies. <laughs> he does. All right. Next up on my watch list, I watched Gladiator. 
for like the twentieth, 25th time, maybe. <laughs> I might be closing on 30 watches of this movie. It's, a, it's still my number two all-time favorite. So I gave Gladiator an unsurprising five-star rating, and I wrote, it's just the fucking best. One of my most watched films, an absolute miracle of a movie, truly one of a kind, and we will never see anything like it again. And I mean that including the sequel. It's not going to be Gladiator, although I'm, it could be really fun and really great. But I think Gladiator, it really is one of a kind. And I really like war epics, and I really like ancient epics. I adore Ben-Hur, and Ten Commandments is so cool. And I, I love a lot of those movies. But Gladiator just does something really different where it has that scale, but also has the emotional resonance with Maximus in his story. And it just you connect to the characters so deeply that even no matter how many times I watch this movie, I get emotional at the end. Um, I think it's just really a profound piece of mov- filmmaking, and uh, movies like this are uh, few and far between. Honor him. Yeah, Gladiator's the best, man. We've talked about it so often, and we did a great episode of it like two years ago. So that definitely good check that out. And we, we talk about why it's so incredible and what makes it so magical and you know how they really weren't working off anything but like a 15-page script and just kind of figure it out as it went and that's how it became what it is and it's just like this this movie that shouldn't have worked that ended up being one of the best films of the genre of all time and mm-hmm. just a personal favorite for both of ours maybe you should bump it up on the spotify yeah i'll bump it up yeah. on the spotify list yeah so if anyone wants to if they haven't it, heard it yeah. it's been a while so i can't remember it's an old one it's probably not as good as we are now but probably probably still great i still think we did a good job yeah. breaking it down i mean people People found us from those old episodes. <laughs> it's, not, so it's not like we were terrible. It's not like they were ten minute episodes. They, it's not. Yeah, but like I feel like we're better at it now than we used to be. We just didn't have really structure, really. You know. But you I were, think you that, were you were a robot. Just kidding. No, not back then. <laughs> My name <laughs> is Anthony. I like film, film, In the film, first film, month, film. Yeah. I like film, film, film movies, movies. <laughs> 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 and putting into my CPU gladiator <laughs> recharge recharge <laughs> so this was your feel good movie that you needed to watch that night it, I, what, that, it was um, we had a rough day um, there's a there's been a personal matter we're gonna reveal sometime soon but it was it was a tough day and I needed a feel good movie um, and Gladiator is that kind of movie for me. What's funny is I almost put on Gladiator because <laughs> I, I was like, I need a, I need a feel good movie too. Yeah. But instead of Gladiator, I put on something a lot more whimsical and magical. And a personal favorite French film of mine, I put on Amelie. I gave it five stars. This is my review. Amelie never fails me as one of the, my favorite comfort movies. I'm always drawn to fairy tales and true love in film. And Amelie has both. Audrey Tattoo is perfectly cast with such intense cinematic presence that she lights up every single frame and stands out like a giant among her co-stars. Amelie decides to take on a personal mission in life, spreading joy and happiness to those around her. However, it only fulfills her to an extent, and it's not until she discovers true love herself that she experiences the happiness she has created for others. The whimsical and sometimes nefarious but justified magic of Amelie warms my heart with every watch. And I adore it. It's so fun. And it you see its influence on so many other movies the last like several years. Like you can look at, in my opinion, like 500 Days of Summer is sort of an Americanized version and contemporary version of Amelie. Even though Amelie the fantastical. Is the yeah, yeah, that kind of magic surrealism incorporating things that shouldn't be real, but also grounding your story very much in our reality. But having little things like the talking animals and stuff around her and the portraits moving sometimes. But I think it's just so beautiful. 
so unique and the character of Amelie is incredibly charismatic and likable and relatable and she's sort of a superhero in a lot of ways about in terms of her goals of spreading joy and connecting people and she she really sets out to do this after she discovers this little box of old treasures from a boy that was placed in her wall of her apartment decades before and she sets out on a mission to find who this box belonged to and she vows to if she does find that box and reunite it with its elder owner now that she will go on a mission to spread joy and happiness and and help other people's lives, not by saving them from crime or <laughs> helping them pay rent or anything like that. You mean like she's that. not a hero? <laughs> she's not a visual. So, but she does <laughs> ma- don the, the costume of Zorro sometimes yeah, yeah. in a lot of fun, which is some of my favorite stuff. I, that's the poster I chose for on my letterbox is her in the Zorro outfit. But her mission is not to fight crime, but to spread joy and spread love. And I think it's really touching, and I just love it so much. I connect with this movie a lot. If you like this movie, there's another one um, I think you might like. And anyone else who wants to, like, you know, feel good movies about like a character who is um, endlessly um, joyful, uh, who likes to spread it, and it's called Happy Go Lucky with Sally Hawkins from she's from Shape of Water and a bunch of other like Paddington. Um, Mike Nichols made it. I think it was like 2012, but. It's a wonderful movie. She plays a kindergarten teacher, but she's just is like the personification of the happy-go-lucky personality, and it's just a, such a joy of a movie to watch. I think uh, anyone who likes Amelie will really like it. From 2008? Yes. I'm going to add it to my watch list. Oh, my God. It's that old. Thanks for the recommendation. Jesus, I saw that in theaters. I feel so fucking old. <laughs> 2008. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Mike, oh, Mike Lee. Right, sorry, Mike, Mike Lee. Mike Lee. Holy shit. Okay, anyways. <laughs> oh, I remember seeing trailers for this and everything. It's great. All right. Next up, I watched the Spanish film The Platform, the Netflix movie that came out during lockdown. That I still haven't f- watched that, yeah. I gave it a three-star rating, and I wrote, An excellent concept gets bogged down by a flatline narrative, uninteresting characters, and very on-the-nose dialogue. <clears throat> it's never a good sign when your lead character starts talking to ghosts just for filler. Also, not enough is explained about this whole... And how people know what it is while not really knowing what it is. There's a lot of room for some much more interesting story directions and narrative concepts. But all of the film's potential was sadly kind of wasted. So this is the film. Uh, everyone remembers the trailer. It, everybody's like in this like prison environment. And, and then there's this platform that, ha- that has food that drops down from level to level. So basically the, the plot is people are randomly put in each, into each level. There's over 200 levels. And the food stop. It's this giant platform, basically like a huge dinner table. Starts at the top floor, and then w- works its way down. And it's a matter of how much food is left for others. Yeah, I'm assuming it's sort of like sort of like a. It's a class study of, of social hierarchy yes, and classism exactly. of like what happens to someone who has a bounty of food or resources versus the people below them. It's really an amazing concept, and I loved the first ten minutes of the movie. But it just is too on the nose. Like you literally have pe- like characters speaking out the themes verbatim, and like it's just too obvious. You know what I mean? That's the problem with There's a lot no of nuance. modern movies when you're trying to send a message, and they you can do it. You're doing it with what you're showing. Exactly, with the symbolism it's, and the, it's unnecessary. In the That's concept a good point. itself, but then you're speaking and explaining it to your audience. You treat your audience like a bunch of idiots, and that obviously gets the eye rolls. And it's because maybe you. 
you got a great idea, but you can't come up with a great way to express your story or tell it without exactly. without yeah. constantly saying it to the audience. And I can't stand movies like that. I was rolling my eyes at times. And also, the, in terms of the plot, not much really happens until the last 15 minutes. Um, and until then, it's really a lot of filler. And again, like I said in my review, the character, the lead character t- spends a an ornament amount of time talking to ghosts, people who died during the story. And it's like, what the, what are we doing here? So it could have been a, like a great, great, great movie, but it just it did not hit its ex- it did not hit its potential at all. Maybe it was a short film first, and they were like, "All right, can you make this into a feature? Who knows?" And they did the best they could with the story. Maybe, I don't know. Because it sounds like a great idea for a short. It it seems like it'd work phenomenally in like a fifteen minute format. Absolutely. <clears throat> Go and do another one because I only have two left. Don't tell me what to do. Because my next one's off. Get beat. your hands off me. Get your hands off me. All right, so this one's a funny one. I watched The 40-Year-Old Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> the reviews, for, the comments oh my on your God, review. Yeah, I'll read them. Because I, I still, like, uh, I, needed an, uh, I needed a laugh. So you decided to watch a biopic of your life, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, but I, I still consider it to just be one of the funniest movies of all time. And I, need, I really needed a laugh that night. So I was like, what's a movie that I haven't seen in a long time that just I think is just hysterical? And 40-Year-Old Virgin... Um, hit that hit that uh, craving I had. So I wrote, I gave it a four star rating. I've, I haven't rated it on Letterboxd yet. I've seen it maybe um, six or seven times. Um, I needed a laugh, and this hit the spot. Apatow's big breakout hit is an absolutely hysterical concept for a movie, and features incredible comedic performances from its stacked cast. This was a heavily quoted movie when I was growing up, and the humor still still hits just as hard. On top of that. It actually has a very sweet story woven throughout its hilarious plot. And now there's just obviously the running joke because of you. Because, <laughs> because whenever on the podcast, if, if the four-year-old virgin is brought up, you say, don't worry, man, you, it's not going to happen to you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's become just like such a gag. <laughs> it's happened like, I think I've done it on like seven episodes. Maybe just, more. Just randomly, anytime it's brought up yeah. and you always bring it up, it'll just randomly be, ta- be talking about yeah. it. And I'll be like, don't worry, man. It's not going to happen to you. <laughs> yeah. Like, we'll, we'll make sure it doesn't happen. You got plenty yeah. of time left. You only you got seven years to figure it's it so out. It's so funny. It's it's one of our best running jokes. <laughs> it makes me cackle yeah. like nothing else. It's always it's, it's one of those jokes that is always funny. You know what I mean? But you can't say it too often. Yeah. You know, that's why that, I only yeah. save it for whenever it gets brought up. But uh, we had <laughs> but some, there was we had a month where, great. Yeah. We, was there was a month where it came up three times, I think. <laughs> I think so, too. But there was, uh, there was some amazing comments from fans that you're going to see this. So Dawson Robertson wrote, I can't believe it took this long to log Anthony's biopic. <laughs> <laughs> Grayson Yuntz wrote, the most relatable movie for Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Tay wrote, cast makes this film five times greater. I utterly agree. Okay, so it wasn't a roast, but it's still a great <laughs> comment. Kelly7777, only seven more years, Anthony. <laughs> King TK wrote, I respect women. I love women. I respect them so much that I completely avoid them. Also, everyone exposing Anthony is so funny. <laughs> Nicholas Mathis wrote, No, I do not want to watch School of Cock with you. <laughs> Elena in Movie Land wrote, Okay, you guys need to stop. I'm sure Anthony has at least held hands with a woman before. <laughs> I'm sure his mom is affectionate like that. I love how even the girls are roasting you. And then you just wrote, Oh my God, this just came in from you. Could confirm Anthony has never kissed a girl. <laughs> how you know it's me? <laughs> James Potter underscore? Oh, yeah, that's me. 
<laughs> what do you mean? How do I know it's you? It says your fucking name. There's a photo of I you. I was being sarcastic. I know it was being sarcastic. Oh, oh, gotcha. <laughs> Anyways, that the, cracked me up. <laughs> when I read the I love Elena coming in from the top yeah, rope there. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the uh, seemingly defending it and defending me and then destroying me. I'm sure he's held hands with his mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's so funny. I think it's hysterical. It's, it's my favorite. But when clip. I wrote the review, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I wonder if anyone's going to roast me. And yep, they did. <laughs> We're good. all pulling for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna happen <laughs> but it's so funny like the the opening of that film where he's just it's his morning routine and he's just got a boner the whole time <laughs> <laughs> when he goes pitching a dead and he just it starts hitting him in the face and he like starts to push it down <laughs> yeah, it like leads forward the trombone oh, bum, 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 i have bum, a very very bum, busy bum, life bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Bingo, sucker! The fucking egg salad. Oh my god! <laughs> I really wanted an egg salad sandwich, so I went out and got like a dozen eggs, <laughs> and I realized I didn't have any bread. And then by the time I was done, I didn't even want to eat it. <laughs> cool. But dude, fucking Seth Rogen before he was super famous, Elizabeth Banks before she was super famous, Paul, Paul Rudd. Rudd before he was like this. The cast is just so great. I mean, I love, I love Catherine Keener. I've always, I've been a huge fan of her since um, the Spike Jones film, um, is, uh, John, being John Malkovich. Um, but she's, so, she's always had such a charming personality and um, infectious persona. And she's, she's a great she's, laugh. She's perfect. Yeah, great smile, great laugh, and she's so perfect in this movie. Jonah Hill with the goldfish boots. Yeah, I just want to buy them so I can get home. We and buy your stuff them. on eBay store. So I, I just can, don't can, understand why. Can I, can't I just, just give you money? And you can give me these boots so I can go home and wear them. <laughs> it's great. I ride a, a bike, bikes, bicycle. <laughs> All right. My next film is Oppie. How about you? No. All right. Do yours, then we'll do Oppie together. Yeah, these oh, yeah, yeah. I, I just waited until okay. today to roast. So, so you, the yeah, next film we saw was one of the most incredible cinematic experiences I've ever had in my life in the last several years. We saw Oppenheimer on 70 millimeter film at IMAX headquarters. It was such a sensational viewing experience. Our most anticipated movie of the year. I gave it five stars because, you know, I don't, you know, we all, we always try to avoid recency bias because it's so common and prevalent with film and TV and, and anything re regarding reviews or anything new. Like we'll seldom say this is the best of all time. If it's a new movie, never, I've never said that. So, but like, I mean, if it's of new, all time, or like the best of this genre, okay, or like yeah. the best Spider-Man yeah. movie or something like that. But with Oppenheimer, I gotta see it one more time at least, and we're seeing it on Thursday again. Before I say officially that it's Christopher Nolan's best movie, but it might be his best film. It's really that special, and, and that's it's so well made. And five star review. Here we go. Oppenheimer was one of the most astounding cinematic experiences I've had since Interstellar. Nolan is experimenting with new styles of surrealist and subjective filmmaking to him, which is so incredible to see from such a seasoned writer and director. He's pushing the envelope with Oppenheimer and challenging the audience like never before. The visuals on 70mm IMAX projection left me speechless. Every shot from, from Hoyt Van Hoytema is an aesthetic masterclass. Ludwig Gornson's score will make the hairs on your skin 
skin stand for countless minutes. Killian countless is a, minutes. Countless minutes. <laughs> countless. <laughs> sorry, it was just... Uh, Sorry. Is this stupid? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds kind of silly. I was writing... <laughs> Shut up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, we... Countless minutes. I counted it was seven minutes. <laughs> I'm editing it now. Just, just say, yeah, make your hands stand up on your skin. <sighs> Fucking A. <laughs> Killian is exceptional, but look out for RDJ grabbing a golden statue this year, which I predicted on Twitter two months ago. You should, you, should, that, you should tweet that on, on Wednesday. Just saying, I, I said that two months ago on Twitter. Full podcast review in about a week. I also gave it five stars. And like James said, I have to see it again before I can rank it. Um, but I wrote, Oppenheimer is a crowning achievement of modern cinema and Christopher Nolan's greatest feat as an artist. Now, I'm not saying it's his greatest film, but as an artist and storyteller, it's the greatest thing he's done. Immense, profound, beautiful, terrifying. It's amazing to see the filmmaker continue to embrace classical filmmaking techniques while still pushing the boundaries of visual storytelling, proving once again that movies don't have to embrace technology in order to captivate the audience. Killian Murphy is sublime, and the rest of the cast is absolutely remarkable. The IMAX film looks more stunning and exciting than any imagery I've seen in recent memory. Ludwig's score is nothing short of groundbreaking for himself as a composer, and Nolan uses new storytelling techniques in, his, in this narrative which transcend anything he's done as a writer. You've never seen anything like this before. It was exceptional, especially when you watch this movie. Remember, there's no CGI. There are visual effects shots, sure, but there's no CGI. And especially the first 30 minutes of this movie, you're going to be watching it like, how in the hell did they make any of this without CGI? It's just that special of... Imagery, and I, I can't describe it without spoiling it. I can't describe what I'm feeling. <laughs> but just just remember, while you're watching Oppenheimer, there's no CGI. And it'll blow your goddamn hair back. Yeah. And he proves that you don't need CGI for to show an atom bomb. You don't even need it. You can just blow up a bomb. He's ma- a massive bomb. But the way yeah. he tells the story yeah, yeah. shows things it's like that. It's visually incredible what it he does. It just makes sense. Yeah. And it's just so, it's so well done. And it's... It's a unique movie in his filmography, too. Yeah. You know, some of those movies, they all kind of blend, not blend together, but they're similar. I mean, the Dark Knight trilogy, they're all very similar in style. And yeah, I mean, they're all, I mean, three movies with the same Batman guy yeah, in yeah. it. <laughs> it's like the same thing. <laughs> but I mean, you can say no, like no, Memento yeah. and The Prestige have a lot of similarities, too. They're told in similar ways. But this one is an outlier in his entire filmography, and it's yeah. really special. Yeah, and I don't want to spoil it, but he does. I'm, I'll say he embraces a, a style of storytelling that he's never used before. Um, um, that's really cool. I don't want to spoil it, but wait till you see it. All right. So and I have one more movie. So do I. Perfect. And we both have Up because we're doing it on a future episode with a crossover with another podcast called the Popcorn Psychology Podcast. It'll come out July 31st, which is a Monday. And so up, I gave four stars. And for me, after watching it for the first time in a while, it still hit me so hard in the first act. It's still incredible animation that holds up today as some of Pixar's best, as well as, you know, post Ratatouille, uh, still perfecting the use of the technology they developed for, you know, digital filmmaking in terms of like, digital lenses or or animated lenses and and, and lighting and lighting and cameras and, and angles and so it brings cinematography practical cinematography to digital filmmaking and animation 
And I will say, though, even though I gave it four stars, it's still incredible. Giacchino, one of the best scores in an animated film history, for sure. It got a little slow for me in terms of pacing, I would say, in the second to third acts. It lost me a little bit on this rewatch. It's still a great movie. But, you know, after after watching it, I don't put it near my Pixar top five, I don't think. And it's still a great movie and <sighs> important for, you know, kids to watch this as well. If you have kids, I think if they haven't, you haven't had a situation to, you know, explain what loss is, what death is, if it hasn't happened in a personal situation in your family. Fortunately, I hope it hasn't. But, you know, it's, I think it's important when we were talking to these therapists on their show and their movie podcast about it, it's important to expose children to themes like this like death like loss and explaining like grandpa's never coming back again or you know and they brought up really brilliantly how on sesame street one of the characters in the 70s died and they big bird went through like the process of a child of what it's like to explain to a kid about something about death and losing a loved one and i think it's really important and it also connects youth with the elderly and and how important it is to not forget about the older people in your families and your lives and it's a beautiful movie I just give it four stars because it lost me a little bit going going on. Yeah, I also gave up four stars. I wrote, it's a, a sweet and heartfelt animated film about grief and moving on from personal hardship. The wonderful score from Giacchino and its sincere message pack an emotional punch. And the iconography of the floating house will live on forever in the world of cinema. The first 30 minutes is some of the best Pixar has ever produced, but the film becomes a bit limited as the story continues. And I just, I, I agree with you with everything you said. And... I think that the first act is absolutely stunning, but I, it is uh, it is a little it loses kind of its potential as it becomes just like a straight up kind of like an action movie in a lot of ways and um, very very limited in its scope. Um, but it's still it's still excellent. But I wouldn't put it in my top five Pixar. But it's still a sensational film. It's wonderful. But I I agree with you. The second half of the film does not it it doesn't reach the peak of its first act, which is something that's very special. So it's it's it, it kind of just like after that first act high and that peak, it just slowly just drops a little bit until like a good conclusion. But it never reaches that height again. But we had a great discussion with Popcorn Psychology about it. so they're a podcast that's hosted by three mental health therapists. One's a relationship therapist, one's a family therapist, and all, an overall therapist, and one's a, a child and adult therapist. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was great to get their perspective, and we really broke down the characters, Carl and Russell and Ellie and Charles Muntz, from from their perspective of therapists, how you would diagnose them and treat them, and the things that they're going through, and what Carl's going through, whether it's depression, anxiety, isolation, adjustment disorder. And it was so fascinating to, to hear their takes on the film. And it was an awesome breakdown, and, and it was so fun to talk to them. So that'll be coming out July 31st, crossover episode with them. So check out, stay tuned for that. And I mean, Up came out in 2009. It's a long time ago. It's a little movie. Yeah. It was a special film when it came but out. But I do think that Up was its, uh, Pixar's most influential film on the future of their movies. I agree. In terms of how they approach storytelling. So I think it Up is actually... Even though it's not my top five, I think it could be, after Toy Story, the most important film they made. Massively successful, too. Yeah. 730 global box office. Insane hit. Absolutely insane hit. Insanity! Two, two Oscars, best uh, animated feature, as well as Giacchino won for best original score. And that wraps Letterboxd Recap. Damn, number eight! <laughs> what a great episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, 
We have Mission Impossible coming out on Thursday, Dead Reckoning Part 1, Tron Legacy on Monday, and then the SAG WGA explanation of what's going on on Sunday we posted. Thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, we'll be doing Oppenheimer, probably Barbie as well, so get ready for Barbenheimer week. Barbenheimer week. We're dressing up for Barbie. Yeah, we're going to post some funny photos, and also we'll probably dress up for Oppenheimer as well. But thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate your support, and again, if you want to support those striking, check out the link in the description of this episode on all platforms. See you next time. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.